0: Hello, this is Tim, the lead pastor of Mosaic Portland, and welcome to the Mosaic Portland podcast. We exist to follow Jesus in authentic community for the world. And right now we're gathering Sundays online uh, to worship together and to open up scripture together. And then after that we have virtual house gatherings that meet all over our city. And the great thing about these is that you can actually join in wherever you're listening from. We think these right now are the best way to be known, to connect with others, and to be on mission together they're also where we pray together on sundays in smaller communities but we take communion together and debrief what the talk was about and engage scripture more if you want to find out more information of how to be a part of one in this season you can find out more info on our website mosaicportland.org now let's go to scripture together as we listen to this podcast About 10 years ago, in a park in Michigan, uh, Jamel walked across the park with his son uh, in his hand and uh, was just out having a great time with friends uh, and family, and he noticed somebody that he recognized. And Jamel turned and pivoted and walked directly up to the man and extended his hand, and he said, do you recognize me? He extended a hand, he had his son's hand in his other hand, and he said, do you recognize me? And Andrew looked at him and said, yes, I do. You're Jamel. And he says, yeah, will you explain to my son why you put me in jail? Jamel is a black man. He had spent three years in jail for a crime he didn't commit. Andrew was a white police officer. At that point, he was a former police officer. See, Andrew, five years earlier, had been on the rise in his police force, and uh, Every arrest got him one notch higher among his department, and he didn't care who he harmed or what lie he told as long as he was moving forward in his career. And Jamil was one of the ones that suffered. Jamil went to, to prison for three years. He was supposed to serve 10 years in a federal penitentiary for drug dealing, and he never dealt drugs. And what happened was that after three years in prison, he got a call uh, one day, and said, If you could get out today, where would you go? And he said, Probably my grandmother's house. And he said, Okay, you've got 15 minutes. Pack your stuff. You're free. You're being let go. And what had happened is Andrew had finally been caught. Andrew had been lying on police report after police report and moving up in the ranks. Uh, and he got caught. He got caught possessing drugs uh, that he would use to plant on uh, potential criminals. And then he would write false reports. And it all finally fell in on him, and he was convicted and he went to prison. And after serving time in prison, he came out and he began uh, serving in his neighborhood and in his city. And that's when he ran into Jamel in the park. When they shook hands, Jamel gripped his hand very tightly. And as he listened to Andrew's apology, Jamel didn't accept it. In fact, he cussed at him and yelled at him. And while he's cussing at Andrew, he hears a phrase in his head. He hears, let it go. It was something that God had said to him in prison. And he says, I'm going to let this go. And he walked away. Four years after that encounter in the park, Jamel had gone to a program to get trained to find a job. He had been struggling. Four years after the park, he hears from his teacher in this program that he's got, been assigned to a mentor. He says, what's the mentor's name? And he says, Andrew Collins. And he goes, no way. I'm not going to him. He thought about it and he prayed about it. He says, okay, I'll go to him. Andrew and Jamel today are actually best friends. They've written a book together. And the reason they've been able to do that is because Jamel, after following Jesus and finding Jesus in prison and choosing to follow Jesus, even when things were really tough after prison as he's chosen to forgive Andrew and they've worked through the pain and the loss and the offense that was there because of, the sin and the lies that Andrew perpetrated against Jamel and others like him. And so they now tell their story of forgiveness. I love that story for so many reasons. I think it's a story of of hope and healing, particularly for our nation right now. I think it's a story that speaks to every one of us. And when we hear it, there's something in us that says, I want to experience that. I can see faces in my mind right now and I can know of relationships that are broken and people that I'm at distance with, people that I'm angry at, people that I still feel resentment toward because there's been no forgiveness and no reconciliation. Jesus actually calls those of us who know him, those of us that know Jesus, those of us who have experienced the forgiveness from Jesus extended to us to extend it to others. He calls us to be people of forgiveness. As we've been in this series called Resurrection People, we're hearing the call to be the kind of people and the kind of church that looks more and more like Jesus. That story of Jamil and Andrew both coming to Jesus through their own pain, both reaching out for a Lord and Savior and King that they need, and then God bringing them back together tells a story of healing that, that more and more of our world needs to hear. And it comes through the power of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit to work and to change lives and us to respond to that. Listen to these verses in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. It says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're called to be that kind of people, holy and dearly loved that are clothed with compassion and kindness and gentleness and, then it says, bear with one another, bear with one another. There's this, there's this acknowledgement that being together in relationship, being together in community and family actually involves bearing with one another, that we're going to offend one another, that we're going to break trust at times that we're going to, it's going to be hard to get along. And so to, to prepare for that, know that that's going to happen, but then go a step further and forgive one another. And It doesn't say forgive instantly in the moment. There's actually a lot around forgiveness and what that involves, but we're this, hear this call to forgive And the reason that we're to hear this call to forgive and be a people that's willing to forgive is because Jesus has forgiven us. In the midst of this really intense scene in the book of Acts, there's this this verse that says this, chapter 10, verse 43. All the prophets testify about him being about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's this great scene in the book of Acts where the message of the good news of Jesus of what he is, of who he is, and what he promises is extended to all people, regardless of ethnicity. At that point, it had been just for Jews, and it was going on to, to Gentiles, to people of any race. And right in the midst of that, there's this reminder that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness. from. We're forgiven by Jesus, and then we're then called to extend that to others. The book of Matthew records this. Interaction between Jesus and Peter. And Peter is known for asking just the greatest, most pointed questions that some of us are thinking all the time. And Peter asks him. And in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, it says this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to, let's say, seven times? That seems like a lot. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Not seven times, but 77 times. Now, in case you're thinking like, okay, seven seems like a lot, but if I got to go 77, then I'll do that. But m- number 78 is, is the end, and I'm not going beyond that. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you think seven is a lot, it is so much more than that because you are called to be a person who is willing to forgive. In fact, it's a, it's a command. It's a call on our life. It's a command. When we forgive others, who have sinned against us, we're actually obeying Jesus. Jesus calls us to be a forgiving people. Now, that's a lot easier said than done. What I want to do in just a, a few moments here is to, is to, is to do a couple things. First, is to be really clear about what forgiveness is. One of the ways that, that we as followers of Jesus are, are able to be more like Jesus in this world is to not only model forgiveness with us, as the family of God, was the church, to be a church that looks like Jesus, but also to be a people who are willing to forgive those, regardless of how we know them or what our connection is with them. I love this this, uh, quote. Uh, The most creative power given to the human spirit is the power to heal the wounds of a past it cannot change. Listen to that again. The most creative power given to the human spirit is the power to heal the wounds of a past it cannot change. You and I cannot change our past. And yet through the the model and the life of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually have this power within us. that's a creative power to heal wounds in our own lives and to model that healing for others. The story of Andrew and Jamel models that for the rest of the world who hear it. We're to model that. We're to show that. We're to be a healing force in this world. And so we need to know what forgiveness is really clearly. And then maybe what's helpful is to say this is what forgiveness is not because it can get really confusing because it involves so much of who we are and what we've experienced, wounds from the past, fear, risk, rebuilding trust. What is forgiveness not? And then what does forgiveness actually do? So first, what what is forgiveness? Here's a really simple way to to, to understand it. It's just kind of a basic way. Forgiveness involves three things. One is an offense or an injury, an offense or an injury that incurs a debt. That's the second thing. That there is some kind of a debt. There's a cost that's incurred, an offense or injury that results in a debt, and then forgiveness involves the cancellation of that debt. And another way to say that that is really helpful. That I've, when I first heard it, it just stuck in my mind, and I, I hope that it does for you as well. But it's this way: cancellation of debt. I'm giving up the right to get even. I'm releasing somebody. When somebody sinned against me, caused an injury or an offense, that there's a debt that I'm paying because of that. For me to forgive that person involves, I'm, I'm going to cancel that debt and I'm not going to get even with you. I'm not going to try to make this even anymore. I'm going to forgive you. Those three things. Now, I realize that we say those three things that's so basic because when we talk about forgiveness and we talk about the being uh, injured in some way, sinned against in some way, there is a wound. When there's an a debt, there's a wound. There's broken relationship. So I, I thought about it this way. To say that forgiveness involves three things, of an injury, an offense, and a cancellation, I, I mean an, an a injury or offense, a, a debt and a cancellation of that debt is a little bit like saying uh, the Pacific Crest Trail is, um, goes from the border of Mexico and California north to the border of uh, Washington and Canada. Now, that is true, at some level, that is a description of the PCT. If you've walked any part of it, if you've hiked any of it, if you've hiked the entire thing, describing it in that way falls so short. It doesn't address anything of the beauty. It doesn't invent, address any of the the hard work and the toil and the planning and what happens and how we change when we go through that. If you were to, to hike all of those what, somewhere between two and 3,000 miles from the border of... Mexico and California all the way up through California, Oregon and Washington up to the border of Canada. People change when they go through that. And the same is true of forgiveness. It is complex, it is personally entwined, it is emotive, it is relational. It is there's an existential experience when there's true hurt and forgiveness takes place. All of that is true. And so understanding that as a very basic and simple understanding of forgiveness that there's so much more to it. And that's why I think it's helpful to spend some time actually saying this is what forgiveness is not. And so I want to I just reference this book, The Art of Forgiving. It's by a, a professor named Lewis Smeads It's about 25 years old now. Um, so this book is, is a little bit dated. It's a quarter century old. It is so helpful. The Art of Forgiving. The subtitle is this. When you need to forgive and don't know how. The truth and the lessons in this book, I, I think, are timeless, and they're so helpful. There's a list, and I want to share a Part of this list with us that is how he lists out what what forgiveness is not. So listen to these five things and, and see how they resonate with you and if if they hold true. And, and some of them may be new for you as you hear these. So here's the first two of this list: Forgiving someone who did us wrong does not mean that we tolerate the wrong he or she did. Listen to that again: Forgiving someone who did us wrong does not mean that we tolerate the wrong. He or she did. We don't tolerate the wrong. The second one is this. Forgiving does not mean that we excuse the person who did it. We don't excuse the person. Now, we can forgive them, but we don't excuse what they've done or, um, or in any way tolerate what they've done. One of the ways that we fall into this um, easily, and it's common, and I've actually said this before, But it's when we're going through the process of forgiveness and we're forgiving someone, they've asked for an apology, they've confessed and they've asked for an apology and we go to respond and we say these words, it's okay. And as I've said those words, have you said those words, it doesn't actually accurately represent what we mean. If we were to parse that that word with two letters, okay, and we're to pull it apart, what we actually mean in that is it's not okay. What you did hurt and it's wrong. I forgive you. I'm not going to, I'm going to cancel that debt. I'm going to choose to not get even with you. And I'm going to hope that we can get back to where it's okay between you and I, because I really want it to be okay between you and I. That's all of what we mean. But when we just say it's okay, we miss some of that truth in there. And we can begin to feel, and others that hear it can actually begin to feel, that we tolerate what has happened or that we excuse it or that we minimize it in some way. And biblical forgiveness in the way of Jesus, the way that Jesus modeled this, is he didn't minimize he didn't excuse it away. He didn't tolerate our sin against a perfect and holy God. In fact, he went to the cross to pay a debt for it. So forgiveness is not tolerating a wrong that's done or an excusing the person. It's actually when we say that, it's okay. And I would encourage you not to say that, but to actually go through the awkwardness of saying that really hurt. I do forgive you. I want to restore a relationship with you so that it is okay between us. Those are the first two. The third one is this. What is forgiveness not? Forgiveness does not mean that we take the edge off the evil of what was done to us. We don't take the edge off the evil that was done to us. When we forgive someone, when we choose to forgive someone, it doesn't minimize, reduce the evil that's been done to us. This is so important. And the reason it's so important is because there is real evil in the world. Because there are devastating and painful and life-altering offenses and injuries and sin from one person to another. Too many of us know this. When we mention sexual sin and sexual abuse, and when we talk about violence against people, if we were to take those kinds of injuries that have been done to far too many of us and to pretend that those aren't evil, and to reduce them in some way, we're not stepping into true biblical forgiveness. Because true biblical forgiveness does not mean that we take the edge off the evil. I love the way that that's phrased. We don't take the edge off of that evil. I have a friend who, right after he was married, his father, who is a sheriff in Vancouver, his father was killed on duty. So a newly married young man, friend of mine, lost his father uh, on duty. Somebody shot him, a a criminal shot him. My friend has experienced this now that it's about 15 years in the past. My friend has walked through in every stage of his life, his first year of marriage, his first full-time job his first child being born, his second child being born, passing 10 years of marriage. Every significant moment of his life, he's had to revisit the loss that, is, that he's felt, the debt that he's incurred because of evil out there in the world that took his dad. And so he's not taking the edge off of that evil, but what's happened is that he's realized that at every key moment of his life, the cost of forgiveness is revisited. And for some of us, because of the evil done to us, the cost of forgiveness increases over the course of our life. It incre- and that's hard to hear, and I wish it wasn't tr- so, but it is true. For some of us, the evil done against us, the debt that we've incurred, means that the cost of forgiveness increases over the course of our life. We realize how much has been taken from us. And we have to go through this practice of forgiveness I'm saying, yes, this was done against me, and this is the cost, and I'm choosing yet again to forgive as I realize more of the cost that's really there. The fourth one is this. Forgiving does not mean that we surrender our right to justice. We don't surrender. Justice doesn't go away. In fact, forgiveness and justice are biblical concepts. That the world and the culture has taken and twisted in different ways, but forgiveness and and justice actually are meant to complement one another, not compete with one another. That if we forgive, we somehow can't seek justice in that wrong that's done. No. A price can be paid. A a person can go through the process of feeling the sting, appropriate sting of, of justice, in their life when they've offended someone or a group of people or done something wrong. And we can still choose to forgive. Those things don't complement one another. They don't cancel out one another. The fifth one is this. Forgiveness does not mean that we invite someone who hurt us once to hurt us again. Again, listen to this. Forgiveness does not mean that we invite someone who hurt us once to hurt us again. Uh, these are helpful also to, to hear if you've not heard these before, but forgive, forgiveness takes one person reconciliation takes two. Now, what that means is that we can forgive people without them ever responding or even knowing that we forgive them. And that might sound weird to you, but some of us actually need to forgive people that are gone, that we don't know where they are. Maybe they've passed away. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit might be working in your heart and mind right now is that you can think of somebody that has harmed you, hurt you, and yet you've never been able to forgive them because they're distant now. They're not close. They're gone. We can forgive. Forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation takes two. Forgiving is essential. Talking about it is optional. You can forgive someone without ever speaking it. And some of us need to know this and remember this because it's not safe for us to be in contact with somebody who has hurt us. Forgiveness, forgiving does not mean that we invite someone who's hurt us once back in close to us so that they can hurt us again. There's a passage in... uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, two verses, it says this, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Alexander the metal worker did some kind of harm to Paul, and Paul is putting everybody on notice that he's not going to let Alexander close to him again because it wouldn't be safe for him. So he's going to let God take care of him. He's going to forgive Alexander, but that doesn't mean they're going to be friends or do business again together. That's just wise. I, uh, if you've not heard that verse before, it's easy to, to skip over it. It's at the, it's at the back end of second Timothy, but it's so helpful because it puts a, a healthy and appropriate boundary for us. in when we interact in relationships and we seek and long for forgiveness, I, uh, I've had this experience, and it's actually been uh, one of the more painful experiences in my entire life, but it has to do with drawing that boundary with somebody. There's somebody who has caused deep harm to me, and then I had to go through the process of finally realizing I needed to forgive them, but restoration at this point in my life still has not happened. Reconciliation has not been realized yet in my life, and so there's a, a broken relationship that remains, but I'm able to Forgive, and the reason that I was able to forgive is because I got convicted, and listen to these verses. In in Ephesians chapter four, there's a whole section here. I'll just read a couple of verses, but chapter chapter four, verse 26 says this, in your anger, do not sin. And then later on in verse 32, it says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And then Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says this, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Those verses came to me and I realized, I, I, could, I could be angry and not sin, which is a, a good thing to remember in boundary, but don't let your sin grow into, I mean don't let your anger grow into sin, but then the call to forgive as I've been forgiven, and to not let a bitter root grow up in me that can not just harm me, but those around me. And I realized that this, the resentment that I was feeling because of my pain, was beginning to affect me and even affect the way that I talked and relate to other people. And I felt a deep sense of conviction that while I felt just in, in my thoughts and feelings toward this former friend, that if I held on to that and somehow give, gave myself power because of that, I wouldn't be responding to the Holy Spirit. I actually could step into a, a place where I was grieving the Holy Spirit's work and what he was trying to do in my heart. And I realized that it wouldn't be safe to enter in a relationship. It was barely safe to communicate anything with this person. But I eventually got to a point where I could forgive, and so I chose to forgive. I went through the steps of communicating the the offense and the sin, and this person uh, was was dealt with by powers not not me, not in our relationship, but they were removed from their position for their abuse of power and their sin and their lies, and they were confronted, and they've chosen not to not to respond. And I'm at the place now where because God led me through that process of forgiveness and I can forgive and let go and not want to get even, cancel the debt in that way, that I can now grieve for them and have sympathy for them for where they're at. And they've not dealt with sin in their own life. And I'm sorry for that. And I wish that would change and look forward to that hopefully changing someday. I don't know that would ever be safe, like Alexander the metal worker, to be in friendship again, but to have some level of restored relationship and to hear the confession of sin and the apology. I hope for that one day. The other thing that it's done in me and what conviction and uh, when we forgive other people, when that happens in our own lives, is we begin to see it through a lens in our own life when we've hurt other people. And going through that process gave me a new lens to see how it, the relationship that I have with those closest to me at times and how when I've offended them and when I've sinned against my wife, my sons, and to realize, okay, this is the pain that I'm incurring in them. And to go to them and to say, I, I've sinned in this way. Will you forgive me? And walk through that process of forgiveness. It's helped shape me in a new way in the way that I'm able to do that. And it's moved me a little bit quicker and to seek forgiveness. And not to hurry them or to rush them, but to initiate that conversation and process and for me to confess. What forgiveness does in us, there's, there's things that it does in us on a physiological level, just biologically, and the research that's done, and people hang on to resentment, that it frees us from that. It also frees us relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. Listen to this. This is a quote from a, a man named Henry Nowen, who's, who's an author and a writer, and he says this, the great temptation is to cling in anger to our enemies and then define ourselves as being offended and wounded by them. Forgiveness, therefore, liberates not only the other, but also ourselves. It is the way to the freedom of the children of God. When we hang on to the pain that somebody's caused against us and been unwilling to forgive, that doesn't mean enter into an unsafe relationship, but unwilling to forgive, to to cancel that debt, to give up the right to get even, we actually experience freedom we actually experience healing. And when we do, we can be that healing for other people. We can tell stories like Andrew and Jamel, who have a great story that is Jesus-centered, that models to the world what forgiveness can bring. It can heal relationships, can heal families, can heal groups, can heal cities. There's a power in forgiveness that we're invited into because Jesus has forgiven us. A few weeks ago, I invited us to, to practice kneeling down when we pray. And I want to invite you this week to kneel down and to pray. And if God's brought a, a face to you uh, in your mind, in your heart today, as you hear this, uh, that you would seek Jesus on how you would begin to take steps to forgiveness. Maybe it's you need to confess. Maybe it's you need to offer forgiveness. But you, t- you take that steps. So let's do that this week is actually get on our knees and say, Jesus, who is it that you're asking me to forgive? Or who is it that you're asking me to go and to confess to because I've done wrong to them? Jesus, would you do this work in us and would you transform us and would you make us your ambassadors of forgiveness and reconciliation in this world so that we can experience more of the healing that you've brought into our lives?